Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Equip You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, we're going to continue our series on contentment. We've been talking about applying contentment to various situations in our lives. And since this month is February, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about applying contentment to marriage. You know, uh, I want you to think as we're talking today about this, Maybe, maybe today you're struggling in your marriage. Maybe that's in a relationship. I, I don't want you to own, when you hear me talking about marriage, I want you to hear about, about your relationships. Your relationships, yes, with your, if you're a man with your wife and you're married, uh, if, you're a, if you're married and, and you're a woman with your husband, but I also want you to hear as well as, as we talk about marriage between one man and one woman for life. I want you to also hear about how these ideas that we're going to talk about today, how they apply to your friendships, how they apply to your relationships, what marriage represents is so important. And, and we need to remember that God instituted marriage between one man and one woman for life. In, in marriage, this is, this is where the home comes in. God instituted marriage between one man and one woman so that they would join together and that they would create a home, that they would build their lives around him and around um, one another's lives. And they would create, you know, a home, a life grounded and rooted in himself. And so, so this is really important because if that's, and since that's true, biblically speaking, then marriage, marriage really uh, epitomizes the what what our relationships should be with other people. In marriage is where we learn how to do life with our spouse. And so in this way, if you're married, you're learning how to walk out this walk of faith with your spouse in in relationship. Now we're also doing this with one another in the church. That's why over 50 times in the New Testament, we're told to one another, each other. And so as we're talking about applying contentment to, to marriage specifically, I want you to also think about your friendships, about your relationship with one another in the local church, outside of it, in your workplace, and so on and so forth, because this is, this is really, really important. And the ideas that we're going to talk about today, they most certainly relate to every sphere and every part of our relationship with God and with one another. So uh, that said, uh, let's get into our episode today. You know, meeting the man or the woman of, of your dreams and having a beautiful marriage, it's a blessing. Proverbs 18.22, it talks about the goodness and favor a man receives when God gives him a wife. And this scripture proves that getting married should bring happiness and joy to your life. But staying content in marriage is vital. Now, many marriages, they begin fabulously, but today they're in crisis. The relationship was damaged somewhere on the line, and the couple has been trying to patch things up, uh, dealing with surface level issues, but to no avail. 
This is one of the reasons why many people say marriage is hard and many have vowed not to get married because of this reality. You might be married to the right person, but not enjoy the marriage. And you might marry at the right time, but not be content with your spouse. A content marriage is one in which you are generally pleased with whom you are married and in which you are satisfied with the way you and your spouse live every day of your lives. You are happily married when you realize that. And despite your imperfections, you are genuinely and eternally grateful to be in each other's lives. Now, remember what contentment is. why it's possible. It's possible because of what Christ has done in his death, burial, and resurrection. To be be content is to be satisfied in God, in his all-sufficient grace and supremacy as revealed in his word. We're going to talk more about that uh, towards the end of our episode, but it's important to say that. It begins with you and the Lord. It begins with you being satisfied in who God is and and who Christ is and what Christ has done as revealed in the word. Now, a happy marriage doesn't mean a perfect marriage, but it can feel magical in the eyes and the minds of the couple. It's not because that marriage meets all the societal standards, because the husband and wife have agreed to make it sustainable and thrive against all odds. Here, here's five ways that we can pursue a happy marriage and a content marriage. We, we, Sarah and I have talked about this on the show many times. Open, honest communication. This is really foundational to any relationship. The quality of communication between the couple will determine the overall integrity of the relationship. That's why we talk about healthy communication. And healthy communication, to be clear, it's godly, it's kind, it has a loving tone. You see, when you have healthy communication with your spouse, you're communicating love and intentionally and purposely to them. Healthy communication also helps to neutralize any quarrels and ar- or arguments. It doesn't mean that you're never going to fight over things, but it, it matters how you fight. It reflects in the tone and the choice of the words you use to tell your spouse you disapprove of their actions or bad attitudes, but not of who they are. Healthy communication is devoid of hate and aggression, no matter how hurt or angry you are. And clear communication is vital in keeping a happy marriage. Clear communication helps your spouse understand what you stand for and what you truly want. And it's of utmost importance that you communicate your opinions or counter opinions to your spouse in a way that they are clearly going to understand. So avoid speaking in parables during arguments or misunderstandings and do not use words that are going to keep them guessing or misunderstanding your point. Now, if you're mad because your spouse did not take out the trash as they promised or do the dishes, then tell them you're not happy and and would they please fulfill what they said they would do. Be specific in your request. Avoid generalizing or making reference to the past or even to other things that are completely unrelated to the current issue. This way, you two will have a healthy understanding of each other at all times. Second, don't have unrealistic expectations of your partner. Don't, don't lift up your partner to the place of supremacy. Uh, that is, don't idolize your spouse. And this doesn't mean that you lower your standards, allowing sin and abusive communication in your life. However, you're going to be disappointed if you always expect too much from people. The same applies to your romantic relationship. Do not expect too much from your partner. You're not perfect, neither is your spouse, but you can and you can't always get it right. 
Marriage is not as it seems when depicted in the movies and the novels, and things are always imperfect in the real world. And so having unrealistic expectations from your partner is going to put too much pressure on them and ultimately put too much tension and stress on your marriage. Marriage is, is not about giving or getting 100% perfection at all times or what we want. It's about putting in your best effort by the grace of God and being content and appreciative of how things turn out because of that. Now, you should always think and make an effort to focus on how can I focus on serving my spouse as Proverbs 5, 18 through 19 says. But, but don't get yourself too worked up about it, and neither should you expect your spouse to go behind their threshold to please you. That is why many couples see marriage as too demanding, too stressful, and even boring. In fact, the more realistic your expectations are from your spouse, the easier it will be for you to appreciate their efforts and the happy your marriage will be. You see, the little things matter, but you will not notice them, much less appreciate them when your expectations are too high. So focus on open and honest communication and have those conversations. Third, be supportive of your spouse. You are supposed to be your spouse's best friend. This position in their life is reserved strictly for you and you alone. If you're married between a man and a woman for life in covenant with God, as men, you should be the shoulder she can leave on, lean on, and wives should be the woman supporting their husband's success. Always support each other's dreams and ambition, even if you don't support or share their same passion. As long as it is God-honoring and it honors Him and it makes your spouse happy, you must be their cheerleader till they achieve success. And if your spouse is happy, you're going to be too. It's a win-win. Also support your spouse when things uh, are going through a difficult phase or transformation, especially if they're going through a very difficult time. You must always give them your support as it shows them how much you love them, how much you care about them. Men, this is especially true for you because in Ephesians 5, we're commanded five times in the ESV to love our spouse because we love Christ. And as a Christian, it's also necessary to give your spouse spiritual support. Pray for them, study the Bible with them, encourage them with the word of God. Fourth, learn to compromise. Well, Marriage is all about compromise and a lot of it, but we're not asking to compromise our doctrinal standards or what the Word of God says. If you cannot compromise, though, with your spouse, you're always going to be at, at odds with one another, and, and soon you're going to get fed up with one another. Compromise is never a sign of weakness. Rather, it's a sign of maturity and the determination to make the relationship work. Uh, Proverbs talks about how, it, how it's a blessing to overlook an offense. That doesn't mean, though, that you never come back and deal with the offense. But in the moment, you overlook it. And then later on, uh, perhaps later in the day, you talk about it. Uh, you work through things. You, you come to compromise. You, 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 know, you want to get that car, but you don't know if you can afford it. And so you need to have that conversation in love. These kind of conversations show how seriously we take the fruits of the Spirit and how much of them are at work and how we're growing in them in our lives. In fact, you could look at, you could even camp in the fruits of the Spirit and ask yourself the question, how, do, do, do my interactions with my spouse, with my friends, with fellow church members and more, do they reflect the fruits of the Spirit? Because these are the things, remember, that the Spirit is producing in our lives. And so as we talk about compromise, we're not, we're not talking about not having the hard conversations, 
but we are talking about working through things and and being open and teachable and also being honest. Okay, this is what I think. What do you think? And sometimes you have to meet in the middle. You have to meet in the middle because you might your your spouse might disagree and you might disagree. So so where is the where is the lane in which we can agree and we can move forward? And so during arguments or discussions, remember that your spouse is a rational being. They're made in the image and likeness of God. They have their own opinions. Your partner's opinion might not bode well with you all the time, but it but it wouldn't hurt to let them have things their way once in a while. This way, if things do not turn out well, they would learn to listen and be more open to your thoughts next time. By the way, this is going to build trust in your marriage. Open, honest communication at the heart has a goal. And that goal is, to be clear, to is so that you can trust one another. You can trust, hey, you know, I made this decision. We talked about it, remember? Uh, you know what? Even a, even a good way to own up to that is if that decision didn't work out well. Guess what? Say that. Say, you know what? I made that decision. Um, it didn't work out, out well. You know, you had a good thought there. Uh, let's try that. Can we try that? Um, this shows also humility, which is another thing that, that's big because Proverbs 15 says that God, God hates pride, right? Uh, but he gives grace as James 4 and 1 Peter 5 says to the humble. So, uh, fifth, be spontaneous in your marriage. Now that you're married to the man or the woman of your dreams, if that's the case, you have a very long journey ahead of you. I'll never forget getting this advice, um, uh, unsolicited advice, but very helpful advice from one of Sarah's family members. They said, Dave, make sure you find Sarah around the house and just give her a hug. Let her know what she means to you. And, I'll, and I really appreciate that advice because it's at the heart of the fifth point. Be purposeful. Be intentional with your spouse. This is the person that you're going to spend many, many years with day and night. Things can get boring pretty quickly between you two if you do not step up your game. And this is where spontaneity, where purposefulness and intentionality comes in. Try to be spontaneous in every aspect of your marriage. Live like the good old times when you started dating. Go on dates. Give your partner a surprise. And and do other things that are going to rekindle the flame of love in your marriage. Doing the same thing over and over makes you so predictable. You must take time out of your busy schedule to think and even plan surprise romantic events or trips with your spouse. Men, take the time to find out a particular piece of clothing or home decor item she constantly talks about and get it for her as a surprise gift. Ladies, something as simple as surprising your husband with a fresh pot of coffee before he heads off for a long work day can do wonders. These gestures are going to keep your love strong and it's going to help your marriage to grow and even thrive. Marriage should be eventful, eventful, mutually progressive, and fun. A happy, content marriage does not happen by chance. You both have a role to play to make it happen. Your marriage will certainly experience many ups and downs, but at the end of the day, its survival will be determined by how much commitment both of you put to make things happen. You see, keeping a happy marriage, it requires mutual effort. A husband must show as much commitment as the wife. This way, the two of them can achieve their goals and their marriage will flourish. Well, we're we're talking about uh, today about contentment. But many men and women are, are discontent in their marriage. Are you one of them today? Maybe, maybe you're not discontent now, but could, could it be creeping into your relationship? 
over the time we can stack up our list of minor and major grievances against our spouse like cord wood one stick at a time a few months or years down the road we have a huge pile and reasons along with it to be less than content no doubt some or much or all of it is true you're you're not trading in fantasy here this stuff happened or happens, whatever the case, like looking through binoculars, the more you keep looking at that pile, the clearer it comes into focus, obscuring everything else. And that gaze leads somewhere. It leads to being discontent. And, and I'm not going to encourage you to pretend like none of it's real, like you should uh, sweep it all under the rug. I'm not arguing that it isn't very important or shouldn't be addressed, but I want to ask you a question. Are you thankful for your spouse? Are you thankful for the grace of God? Are you grateful for your spouse? Is there anything, several things you could focus on right now that you're truly thankful for in, your, in and for your spouse? One of the things we need to do is we need to remember and and have a godly perspective. We need to be reminded of the many things in which we do have so that we don't focus on all the things we don't have. Did you miss a meal recently? Many in the world do, but, but, and you may be going through lean times, but have you ever missed a meal? Have you missed one recently? And and if not, you can be grateful for food that that you have. Do, Do you have a roof over your head? Does your spouse do anything, anything for you for your children if you have them, for your home, and so on. We often allow our problems and especially our grievances, large and small, against our spouse to obscure all the thousands of things that we can be thankful for. And and this is one of the problems that we all struggle with to one degree or another, is the issue of contentment. In fact, Paul raises this very issue in Philippians. He talks about contentment as something that he's learned. Now, this is interesting because the Apostle Paul is talking about circumstances that he's dealt with. He, he's encourages, he encourages us in Philippians 4 to rejoice. And, and then he goes on to tell us about how he learned to be content. Well, remember, Paul is writing this from prison. He's talking about this idea of contentment. He's contrasting it with several things. This is where it becomes very practical for us. Paul, remember, is writing this book from prison. One of the things that he says in Philippians 2.14 is he encourages us to do everything without grumbling or complaining. That means everywhere we go, everything we do, we are to have a particular disposition. We need to think about that disposition that we ought to have as followers of Christ. In fact, there are so many things that Paul reminds us about that we're to be truly grateful for. This disposition, it's easy to recognize in part because we're all experienced at it. And when you think about grumbling and complaining, what in the world is grumbling? Well, this will be the quiet murmurs that we have or the secret disposition of displeasure. Then there's this other aspect in Philippians 2.14 of complaining. Do you find yourself grumbling and complaining about your current situation, about your spouse? Do you see others around you doing the same? What about in your family? These are the ways in which we raise the standard in our communication with people we are in close proximity with, people that we have good relationships with. We can encourage them to have the disposition that Paul is talking about here to stay away from grumbling and complaining. And Paul develops this further in Philippians. He's going to contrast this with the idea of rejoicing. He mentions this idea of rejoicing several times. And in fact, it might be about eight times throughout this book of Philippians. He develops it most in the final chapter in Philippians 4. And so as you look at Philippians 4, there are a couple things to keep in mind as he encourages us to rejoice in Philippians 4.4. 4. 
here he is reminding us how we are to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, he says to rejoice. Now, notice that right before a primary teaching that we talk about all the time about anxiety, where Paul here is calling us through the Holy Spirit. He's writing inspired by God to encourage us not to be anxious about anything. We need to understand this, that the, the call of God is that we live with an attitude of rejoicing. That's more of a frame of our soul. It's, it's a frame of our spirit. It's like our primary disposition as those who've been called by God, redeemed by his blood, and made alive by his spirit. There's a primary disposition of rejoicing, of being content in whatever situation that we find ourselves in. But in contrast, what Paul has helped us to understand is there are a couple of ways in which we see symptoms coming out of us that happen in attitude, actions, body language, or words that, that we should be saying that would be an opposite of this disposition. And these should accompany those who believe those things in opposition, like grumbling, things like complaining, and things like being anxious. Now, when he's describing this in Philippians 4 and following, he gives this contrast of that which is our normal disposition and rejoicing with that of anxiety and then he finishes that section by telling us that we should think on that which is true and those true things should lead us in the direction of learning how to rejoice and learning how to be content and then in the process of doing that what's being crushed would be grumbling complaining and anxiety one of the things that really begins this disposition of contentment is this disposition of thankfulness and gratitude. We begin to look at each other with the ways in which we're thankful for the person and what they do. Of course, they're flawed people. They're sinners by nature and by choice that they belong to Christ. But we have a way in which we can see them where we see them through a lens of gratitude and thankfulness and being content with our relationship with them. I want you to think about this in terms of ways that you can personally apply this. But also, I want you to think about this because Paul goes back to this in Philippians 4 after he tells us that we're to think on these things that are true, right, just, noble, and of good report. In Philippians 4.10, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. In verse 11, he says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now notice he says, I have learned. That's interesting because if Paul is writing this at the end of his life when he's in prison, this is something he's been in the process of doing for quite some time as a mature believer. We're not going to be perfect at this. We're going to be growing in this. This is why we have to continually pursue putting our sin to death by the grace of God with the help of the Holy Spirit, those things that we grumble and complain about, reminding ourselves, just as Paul does in the book of Philippians, of who we are in the Lord Jesus positionally and what he's done for us in his death, burial, and resurrection. The response of that is that we learn to rejoice and be content. I, I want to remind you of all the things in Paul's life that God was using. The sufferings, the struggle, the thorn in the flesh, all of these things God was using in Paul's life to teach him these things. He says it was because of all those things that he had learned this disposition, which is consistent with those who trust in the Lord. It's consistent with the disposition of those who can squelch grumbling and complaining because we see our life in Christ and how grateful we ought to be. He even says, in plenty or in want, I've learned to be content. Now, this is interesting because for us, this is something that sometimes we as Christians think ought to just be simply automatic. Or maybe we even think, well, during this time of year, I'm thankful. 
Well, we need to be reminded of a heart of contentment or a heart of gratitude is not a one-time act. It's not something that we do in a single moment where we feel like this flood of emotions where we're thankful for this or that thing. And when we respond in this way, we're not excited about who we are or of God's providence of that moment. We're excited about what this particular thing or that thing could do for us. And the idea of contentment here is Paul saying, I'm not determined by the environment that surrounds me. He's saying, I've learned in my position, in my relation to who God is, that I can be content no matter what the external environment is. That's very different than the culture in which you and I live in in our world every day in the air that we breathe in our workplaces, maybe even our home, where we think it takes a perfect, pristine environment. Nothing's going bad around me for us to achieve some sort of contentment. Paul is making very clear that it's not the environment that actually dictates his emotional disposition, his internal frame of thinking. Rather, he is saying something very different. What is this idea of contentment? Well, this idea of contentment, Jeremiah Burroughs actually says, is freely submitting to and taking pleasure in God's judgment. The basic idea is simple, that we're well pleased in what God does. We are contented with however God chooses to use our life in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Now, that doesn't happen by accident. That's as life unfolds, as life occurs, just like it did for the Apostle Paul. And the fact that Paul had to learn this through the situations of his life, it demonstrates that he probably wasn't as successful every time that he was in a bad scenario, especially when he was in a bad scenario. What it demonstrates, though, is he was working through the process constantly when those bad situations would occur, that he was reminding himself that he has to rejoice always in the Lord. And in doing so, what he learned is that he could do this and to be content and even thankful for all that God was and all that God had done in him, no matter the external situation. Can you today think for just a second about how freeing that thought is, that we are free from being determined by what someone else might do for me? We're free from being determined about another family member's attitude when we sit down for a meal with them, that I am free in the Lord Jesus to respond in a way that is pleasing to him, that's content with whatever situation I find yourself in. Can I encourage you for just a moment in whatever situation you are in, whatever season of life you're in, to have a disposition of gratitude, to have a disposition of contentment, that you would be in a process of working diligently to learn these things in the way in which Paul is talking about, that when you're tempted to grumble and complain, you wouldn't turn that around and come up with ways and, and I mean, come up with ways that you can rejoice in the Lord, that our eyes will be fixed on Christ, thinking about all the ways in which we have to be thankful for all that he's done for us, seeing the good and what he allows, which is grace to us. And then in times where we find ourselves feeling anxious, we can have a calmness of soul, a quietness in our soul, that frame of reference in relation to Christ, knowing that it's not the external that dictates the person that I am, but the internal being at peace with satisfaction in Christ, with who he is, that changes the game. This changes the way that I now see everything. It doesn't matter if I'm hungry or facing plenty, whether I'm with or without. without. We, we can find a place where we can be content and that God is providing all the things that we need. A second way to think about that, not just personally, but now also in all the ways in which you can take those truths and minister to those who you see during this season of life, 
are in points of grumbling and complaining. Those who are maybe highly anxious about all kinds of cares and concerns of the world. You want to encourage them that they are not in bondage to those external things if they are believers in the Lord Jesus. You can encourage them greatly, kindly, and with compassion. Even remind them that the power of Christ, which he has given to us by his spirit, that we can learn in these difficult situations or points at which we want to grumble and complain. We can learn to be content no matter what. You have an opportunity to minister in the very mundane ways in every season of your life. I want to encourage you this week to think about that, where you would be mindful of the way in which God frees us from the captivity of those things that are around us and the environment that we often succumb to. Would you be thankful during this season of your life? Would you gratify Christ, honor him as Lord as you learn, as we all are, to be content in whatever situation that you find yourself in? Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Equip You and Grace podcast. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.